Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. We want to help you get beyond American churchianity to discover who Jesus really is. In today's episode, I offer my own story. I've discovered that being honest and open with my own struggles opens the hearts of those who might be skeptical and cynical. So today, you'll hear several different messages all merged into one, telling the story of my dad. This is a tribute to him to help you in your journey. The Harvard Flourishing Program gives us some cognitive exercises, and these exercises I'm about to share with you are happening in my own life that I encourage you to to pursue in your life, and they are these three things, to learn how to be grateful, to savor and recognize the good in life, and to imagine one's best possible self. See, for me, to become the best version of me has required God's help. On my own, I make progress only to fall back further than I was before. But connecting with God has helped me move forward faster. See, you and I live in a time where there are more unhealthy temptations that adversely affect our mental and physical health than there have ever been. But the good news is we are more aware of what's healthy and what's not healthy than ever before. But I believe with God's help, he can guide you towards a path of health, which might include connecting to community so you have help and accountability, seeing a doctor and discovering that there are actually some medical advancements that can help you, or seeing a counselor in order to have help along the way. See, we say no perfect people allowed at Gateway because we know the only way to make progress is to be honest with where you're at. If you don't admit you have a problem, then you're never going to overcome that problem. If you don't admit you need help, then you're never going to get the help you need. And if you don't think you have any issues or any blind spots, just ask the people who love you the most. They'll be honest. They'll tell you. But we need to realize that you can still, you can love Jesus and still struggle with your health. You need to be honest about that. Rich Viotas a pastor from Brooklyn, author of the book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World, writes this. One of the great tragedies of depression is the isolation and shame people carry as a result. We need communities of faith that normalize depression. Life is hard. At some point, we break. Depression is not a sign of weak faith. It's a sign that we are human and in need of support. See, the scriptures tell us a great deal about our mind. Romans 2 focuses on becoming a living sacrifice so that we can renew our mind. See, God wants to give us a different perspective than what we have. In fact, one of the things that the Human Flourishing Program talks about in order to overcome sadness and depression and anxiety and fear and rage, anger, is forgiveness. Something the Bible talks about all the time. I want to just ask you, who do you need to forgive? Sometimes we have such bitterness within us, and we don't realize that bitterness is actually hurting us. Forgiving doesn't mean excusing. It means releasing them from that moment, seeing through the eyes of God. Who do you need to forgive? We waste too much time harboring silly grudges. And it may be that we're anxious. We're not sure what we can say or what we shouldn't say. 
The scriptures also speak to anxiety. It says, don't be anxious about anything in Philippians 4. Instead, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, God can reshape how we see things, that we take the negativity, replace it with whatever's true and noble and lovely. And look what happens when we grow in our faith. We discover more and more, 1 Corinthians 2, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have access to God and his thoughts of us and his, how he wants us to see others. Before I moved to Austin, I was a part of a church in Los Angeles called Mosaic, and my mentor there, his name's Erwin McManus, and he, he taught us through his life through the scriptures. What that meant was he was always willing to share authentically with where he was at and how God was speaking to him through the scriptures. And it really challenges me because I like to talk about what I overcame, not what I'm trying to overcome. And so it's been really hard this summer sharing about my relationship with my dad. And I should tell you that years ago, my dad and I struggled to understand each other. But eventually, I I began to look backwards with different perspective. God was renewing my mind, and I began to see that my dad loves me and is proud of me. He may just not express it the way I was looking for. But I also have to say that some of these painful moments with my dad, I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I don't want to be judged by the mind of a 12, 13, or 14-year-old. And he was also in his early 30s. I don't want to be judged by who I was in my 30s forever. Sometimes we hold people hostage to their worst moments. And honestly, looking back, I can tell you, it was me wanting him to change to become someone he could never be. And I came to a place of peace with who my dad was. And we had, in the end, some really beautiful times, even over the summer, as last fall he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then in June diagnosed with cancer. And this summer, my wife and I would go every Tuesday that we could and And we'd spend the day with him, give my mom a chance to get out of the house and get done whatever she needed to get done. And we had some really beautiful moments together. And it was this weird combination because because of the Alzheimer's, he didn't remember he had cancer. And so we just had these very pleasant conversations and he was unaware that he was slowly dying. We had to move him into a facility as his dementia and cancer have just made it very hard for him. And so there's my mom and dad walking into a place. He's only 74. Just a few months ago, he's playing pickleball and mowing the lawn. And then just this last several months, things have just gotten really, really hard. With all the great memories that I've had, that's not exactly how it was like for me uh, growing up. Uh, My dad uh, comes from a different generation. and, And I always struggle to know if he really loved me. And, and in part because what I needed from him, he didn't know how to provide. But I didn't know that for many, many years. I just thought there's something wrong with me, that I can never quite do enough. And if I work hard enough, maybe he'll finally be happy with me. Maybe he'll finally love me. And some of this is subconscious, right? You, you, you've, you've struggled with that. And, and I want to just acknowledge right off the bat that I understand that I'm really grateful. I have a father who stayed married to my mom. And even though he was uh, present, there was still more I wanted. 
And I just want to say that if your relationship with your father has been difficult or if you've lost your father, if you never had connection with your father, I want you to know God can guide you through this. But I can tell you from my journey, I mean, it started one of my first memories of something was off with me and my dad. It was, I was about 10, 11 years old. And he, I went up to go hug him goodnight, and he told me, Eric, you're too old to hug. And he gave me a stiff, firm handshake goodnight. And I remember shaking his hand very sadly and walking off, only to see my little brother jump up into his arms and wanting that. And then my dad and I, we just always seemed to clash. And I remember in high school, I wanted to grow my hair out long. If only he knew then what we all know now. Maybe he would have been less reluctant. But we'd get in these shouting matches. And then, I mean, there's so many different moments. I remember when I was engaged and my uh, fiancé, now my wife, said something to Mrs. Bryant talking to my mom. My mom looked behind her for her mother-in-law and realized, oh, wait, you can just call me Joanne. And my dad was sitting right next to her and said nothing. And so I found my dad later. I was like, Dad, why didn't you say call me Pat? And he said, I don't want her to call me Pat. I wanted to call me Mr. Bryant. I was like, you want my fiance to call you Joanne and Mr. Bryant? He said, yeah. I mean, I figure she can just call me whatever my grandpa name becomes. Well, so for six years, we didn't have children and my wife would just wait till she got eye contact to start talking to him. She didn't know what to call him. And actually one of the biggest fights of our entire relationship was the night before the rehearsal dinner. I had come home late. I'd been living out on my own in college, and now I'm staying at my parents' house. And, and I come home, and I knew something was off because all the lights were on, and they were awake. Normally, they fell asleep watching Matlock at like 8 o'clock, right? <laughs> and so I come in, and my dad is fired up. He is so upset, and he just starts yelling at me, what are you doing coming home so late? Don't you even care that we have this big event tomorrow? We haven't even talked about it. And I was just kind of overwhelmed with just all this rage and anger. And I, and I had this thought. I know it's not from God because it didn't work out as well as I had in, in my mind. But I thought, you know what? If I start yelling and screaming at him, I bet that will show him how ridiculous he looks and he'll calm down. <laughs> that is not what happened at all. I start yelling at him. How am I supposed to know what time you want me to come back? You never told me. And I'm yelling, he's yelling, and I cannot stop yelling at this point. Well, fortunately, I have a four foot 11 inch mom who is able to get in between us because, I mean, we were looking each other eye to eye. I mean, they're spit flying and fist clenching. I mean, we were going to come to blows the night before the rehearsal dinner. But my mom is so loud, even though she's so little, that ear piercing, screaming, it just was enough to just disable us both. So I went off to my room, he went off to his room, and nothing was resolved. More bitterness, more anger, more not understanding each other. And I had this habit. I was really trying to walk in my faith, and I'd been walking with Jesus at this point about four years, and praying every night is, is something that I had developed as a, a, a discipline. But I didn't want to pray that night. I was so mad. But then eventually when I did pray, it was an angry prayer. God smite my father, right? That kind of prayer. In fact, I remember specifically thinking, you know what, God, I, I'm gonna, we're gonna, because we were about to get married, move to Seattle, and I was thinking, God, when we get married, we move to Seattle, my mom can visit, but my dad can't. 
And I thought, you know what? Actually, even better. He can come when we have grandkids, right? When we have children. He can come visit the grandkids, but they're going to call him Mr. Bryant, <laughs> right? I had this diabolical plan already. And in the midst of the praying, eventually I confessed, but God, forgive me for losing my temper. I, I shouldn't have done that. I know better than that. I wasn't even mad at first. I was just triggered. I was just upset at how he was treating me. And then I had this thought that I should go apologize to him. So I go into the room. It's dark. I kind of kneel next to the side of the bed where he's sleeping. And, and I just say into the darkness, Dad, I'm really sorry I started yelling at you. I'm sorry I didn't ask if you needed help for tomorrow night. Would you please forgive me? And then I heard a sound I, I wasn't really used to hearing growing up. I could hear my dad crying. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just having trouble saying goodbye. See, what I began to realize over the next several years is that hurt people hurt people. That sometimes the wounds from our own childhood get passed on to our kids. And so, even in these last several weeks, as we've been watching my father decline so rapidly, these last two days, we were just there. My brother comes into town, my wife and I were there, my aunts and uncles and all coming in to be with my mom, and she's been so heroic through this. She said, I, I said, Mom, I'm so sorry this is happening to you so young. And she said, you know, his dad died at 57. This is almost 20 extra years. And he had to retire at 55. He was an air traffic controller. One of the reasons he was such a stressed out dad, such a stressful job. She said, because he had to retire at 55, I've had almost 20 years with him at home. Just such a unique perspective. And so as we've been grieving and saying goodbye, and, and even before that, I remember, you know, I've been reflecting on what my dad has taught me. And just how grateful I am for my dad. As wonky as things were. You know, it took counseling. It took being married with a, a woman who has great discernment and wisdom. It, it took going through recovery, working the steps, and learning my own issues. And why is this relationship not flourishing? And I've seen progress. I was able to start looking backwards and seeing some of the ways he was showing love that was just different than ways I was looking for it. He may not have hugged me or said he was proud of me as much as I wanted growing up, but you know what? He was the guy I could go to to help me fix my car. He was the guy I could go to in the middle of the night when there's a storm coming and I'm afraid I may not get to the airport in time and he would drive through that storm in central Texas to get me to that airport so I could fly back to see my family. He was that guy who would just faithfully serve behind the scenes at church to the point where eventually... The pastor asked him to become a leader in the church, not because of what he says, but because of the faithful ways he works and serves so hard. I also learned humor from my dad. See, Bryant's love funny stories, especially embarrassing ones. And the more embarrassing, the better. In fact, when I was a kid and something bad happened at school or something with one of my friends, my first thought was often, well, this will make a great story at the Bryant's Thanksgiving. And my dad loved movies where everything was falling apart, like The Money Pit with Tom Hanks, or Plane, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin. 
The more, more things got worse for the main character, the funnier it was to him. And nothing was better than hearing my dad laugh. When he was starting to struggle with his memory, I asked him, Dad, what, what do you do when you're forgetting things? Like, how do you handle that? And he said, or you just have to laugh about it. There was at Christmas, they were at my house, they were visiting and staying in my daughter's room since she was out of town. And he comes up that morning and he's laughing. I said, Dad, what, what's so funny? He said, you won't believe what happened. I woke up this morning and I looked around and I thought, what am I doing in a teenage girl's room? And who is this laying next to me? <laughs> he was like horrified, like, where am I and what am I doing here? And once he realized it was his wife, he just started to laugh. He comes out and tells me, and then he tells me three more times that day, right? But as I've been reflecting on how grateful I am that there has been a sense of closure with my dad in many ways, that I know he loves me. It's just in the own way. He, he didn't even get a handshake from his dad, right? He's been as emotionally available to me as he knew how. I'm so grateful for him. Tragically, this last Thursday morning, early, my dad died. Now, the beauty is, I have to tell you, that we had many opportunities to say goodbye. And some of us have not had that opportunity. And I've lost family members before. I've lost close friends before. I've helped with many funerals, but something about losing my dad, it's been really hard. And I can tell you that part of what's helped me through this is the way you're, you have reflected the image of God to us. Your calls, your texts, your invitations, your hugs, your love in the midst of all this. But I have to tell you, there was a moment just a few weeks ago before he died where I was really struggling. And I've had lots of really great moments in prayer and in worship in my own time. In fact, I feel like I've grown in that this summer. Because there's desperation in my prayers and in my heart. But in one of those times, I just, and I'm going to confess out loud, I just prayed, God, I need what I say I believe to be true. I need it to be true. God showed me that what I've been teaching all these years is real. And there have been so many remarkable moments since then. As hard as the doubt has been, as hard as those days where I didn't want to get out of bed have been. I'll share just a, a few of them. After my dad died, Deborah and I drove to be with my mom. And my brother was on his way as well. And that afternoon, after trying to help her around the house and at the memory care center where he lived for a couple weeks, we started sharing stories about my dad. My mom is super outgoing, super bubbly and, and loving, and my dad is a little bit more of like a handshake and, and not hugs kind of guy, more of an action and not words kind of guy. And so we were asking, like, when was dad really at his happiest? Like, when was he really ever happy? And my mom said, well, he was really looked good when we got married, and he really looked good at officer training school graduation. Like, we didn't say, when did he look good? We said, when was he at his happiest? And she said, well, when you look good, you feel good. <laughs> it's like, that's not what we were going for, Mom. That's not exactly what we're looking for. So we drove home that night, and we were going to come back the next day. And, and I texted my brothers, like, ask Mom while you're still there, was he happiest maybe when we were born? Like, maybe that'll jar his mem her memory for, like, moments when he was really happy. Because we have a lot of pictures of our dad, and he's not smiling. He was annoyed with all the pictures my mom wanted to take. 
And my brother, immediately after I asked, ask mom about when we were born, if dad was happy, he sent back this picture of me and my dad. He's beaming. I don't remember that picture. Of course, I don't remember that moment. But I, I then, as we went back the next day, we started finding picture after picture of my dad with the biggest smiles. A picture with him with my son, Caleb, playing on the ground. Or with my daughter, carrying her on his shoulders. It was like God knew I needed to see these pictures. I needed to know this about my dad. God was comforting me, comforting me in the midst of that. Well, on that night, second night, driving back to my mom's, I mean, the sunset was gorgeous. We have amazing sunsets in central Texas. But for some reason, this time really struck me. And I remember that prayer. As I saw the sunset, I remember that prayer, that I needed proof. And as I was looking out of the, over the lake in the house where my parents lived, my grandparents lived since 1971, it goes way back in the family, I took this picture of the lake, of the sunset. And there's no filter. I'm not a good photographer. I was using an iPhone. That helps a great deal. <laughs> but just that rain in the distance and the color in the clouds, I just felt overwhelmed with how God is so powerful. And then I have to tell you that I... I and by the way, there's way more proof. There is a God and there is life after death than just that picture I took. <laughs> Read Imagine Heaven. Look at the scriptures. Talk with others who followed God. And I have to tell you, when my dad died, I didn't read the Bible that day and I didn't read the Bible the next day. It wasn't that I was angry. I was just, honestly, I was just kind of numb. There's lots to do. And I decided to read the Bible and go to God through his word. Like, God, speak to me. I, I still need help. I need hope. And I came across this verse, Psalm 27. This was the verse of the day. I, I didn't know where to even look, so I just went to my Bible app and just looked at the verse of the day, which says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I needed to hear that. I ended up reading the whole psalm, which talks about how God is our light and salvation. There's no reason to fear that he invites us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then it said, though your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will receive you. Now, my parents have never not been there for me, but my dad is physically no longer here. And I remember reading that, thinking, God was reminding me he will be there for me. See, one of the things that helped me come to peace with my dad years and years ago was realizing I had unrealistic expectations of him. I think we all do of others. We expect our parents or our siblings or our spouse or our friends to meet some of our deepest needs that only God can truly meet. But the, the verse right before, verse 14, says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I was so encouraged. I felt like God was just speaking to me, answering my prayer. And then the next day, it was this one. John 11 says this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then it has, Jesus asked, do you believe this? God was asking me, do you believe this? And I was able to say, yes, I do. But I have to tell you something else that happened just recently. We had this experience 
at our staff meeting. Our pastor of prayer, Tara Browder, led us in this experience that is a part of the Hearing God workshop, where you write down your name on a piece of paper, you fold it up, you put it in an envelope, and then you seal the envelope. And then she takes all the envelopes back, and you don't know whose name is in the envelope, that she then mixes them up and passes them all out. And you're supposed to ask God to speak to that person through you. Now, it's a really hard experience because you're having to learn how to hear God's voice and how do you know that thought is from God or not and and you're kind of wrestling through that and it's easy to get distracted and so I'm praying and I'm asking God to speak to me and I I wrote down several things that I, I hope were an encouragement to the person who received them. But when I got mine, I was at first incredibly disappointed and confused because what you're expecting is like a, a word from God that's a real encouragement And what I got was this. She wrote these words. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Now, if you don't know that story, it's actually one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. The the stories written about Jesus' life and ministry. But, But I want to be a person of faith. I don't want the message from God to be, remember that guy that did not believe If you don't know the story, there's this moment where a man had a sick son and he took him to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, tell me more about your son. He says, how long has he been affected in this way? And then the passage picks up in Mark 9. The dad answers, from childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I can't help but think Jesus with a smile on his face says, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. I mean, this is the son of God, the one who's been bringing people back from the dead, helping people who could not walk, walk, helping people who could not see, see. And this man comes to him and says, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if I can do anything, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the man immediately says, I do believe. And then I think he realizes, wait a minute, Jesus might be able to read my thoughts. Help me overcome my belief, my unbelief. In a moment of transparency and honesty, he realizes, I don't have enough belief for this moment. So when I read those words from someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't know what I've been going through, I knew it was God's way of saying he sees me. In the moment, I didn't have enough belief for what I was going through. Jesus ends up healing that son. And although my prayers went unanswered in the way that I wanted them to, I wanted God to heal my dad, to give us more time. But instead, even though I don't know why he went, when he went, or why he went in the way he went, I can trust the one who does. I may not understand all that happens in life, but I can trust the one who gives me life. And so, I knew this was from the Lord. It was like an inside joke from God. The next thing she wrote, from God to me, I love you so much, my child. I am with you. Trust me. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And maybe you need to hear that today. 
God is saying to you, I love you so much, my child. I'm with you. Just trust me. There's another miraculous moment. I shared a, I couldn't even share it two weeks ago. It was the day, my last chance to see my dad. And I may not be able to share it now, but I'm going to try. But my brother had told me the last day he saw him was a Sunday morning. It was about 5.30 in the morning because he had to drive all the way five hours back to East Texas. And he told me, he's like, it was amazing. I was crying and dad comforted me. He just started patting me on the back as I hugged him. He said, I think I figured out why we never felt that emotional connection from dad. We were never up early enough. <laughs> he's like, you got to go early and see if you can catch dad before his defenses are up. And so Tuesday morning, I got up about 5 o'clock, drove the hour and 15 minutes to where my dad was staying. And I got there and he was asleep. And at this point, this whole last week, he'd really been asleep all the time. He was in so much pain and they had him on morphine and all these things. But I still had a moment with my dad. And I held his hand, and it wasn't limp, but it wasn't, he didn't squeeze my hand either, but it, I held his hand, and I just told him how much I loved him, how grateful I was for him. I told him I was sorry for anything I may have done that hurt him. I told him I forgive him, knowing that he never wanted to hurt me. And I told him that you can find rest. You don't have to hang on anymore. You can find rest. I played a couple songs in the room with him, and... He never really woke up. I didn't get what I had been looking for. I didn't have that moment until I walked out of the room. And as I walked out of the room, a little sweet old lady was standing there, like she was waiting for me. And I looked at her and I said, uh, do you need something? And she looked confused. Now this is an Alzheimer's unit, so that's probably how she truly felt. And I said to her, or she said to me in that moment, after I asked her and she looked confused, she said, what is your name? And she put out her hand. So I put out my hand, I, I shook her hand, and then she grabbed my hand with her other hand. And I told her my name. I asked her hers. And then she looked at me and she said, can I give you a kiss? And I said, sure. So I turned my cheek, she gave me a kiss on my cheek, and then still holding my hand, she looks at me with the brightest smile and she just says, you are a good man. And then I said, can I give you a hug? So I give her a hug. She hugs me back. I wish her a good day and I leave. And I'm just kind of shocked. See, what happened in that moment was God gave me what my dad never could give me. Not because my dad was a bad dad, but because he's a human being. My heavenly father knew exactly what I needed. And he gave it through Caroline. Her name's Caroline, which I found out later from Amber. Caroline means a free one. God was telling me that I'm free. I don't have to worry or wonder if I got everything I needed or if I said everything I said. But that's the kind of God that we follow, one who knows our deepest needs and can meet our, those needs when we turn to him. See, God revealed himself to me. Have you allowed God to reveal himself to you? A really sweet moment this summer, Trevi, our daughter, was with us on one of these Tuesdays, and they were out on the porch where my dad loved to sit. And 
she was asking him lots of questions, and one of the questions she asked is, what decision in life are you most proud of? And he said, becoming a Christian. And then at another point, she says, what do you want to be remembered for? And he said, I was someone who got better. I think lately, I felt a lot like my dad did the night before we got married. It's just hard saying goodbye. But what brings me hope is that this life is not all there is. One of the greatest things my dad passed on to us was his faith. He had a strong work ethic, example of faithfulness to his wife, 52 years, family, friends, faithfulness to church family, and the ability to tell a funny story even when it's about the hard times in life. Because isn't that what life is? It's a beautiful mixture of wonderful moments and hard moments. We've had so much support from family, friends, so many emails, texts, messages online, prayers, kind words. And one of the texts was a quote from Queen Elizabeth II, who after the tragedy of September 11th said, grief is the price we pay for love. It's devastating to lose someone you love, but we have faith this life is not all there is. And the faith my mom and dad passed on to me and my brother is the faith I hope to pass on to my children and to their children. The faith of my parents, of my grandparents, is a simple faith, but it's a beautiful and redemptive message. Sometimes American churchianity can get in the way and confuse things. The message of Jesus is not judgmental or hypocritical or political. It's about how out of tragedy can come joy. See, God created us and loves us. That's what that word grace means, amazing grace. It's amazing how much God loves us. And he gives us freedom. And in that freedom, we make decisions, some that bring more light into the world and some that bring more darkness. But see, God has intervened. He came to rescue us from the darkness. And his name is Jesus. Jesus taught us how to live. He demonstrated how to love others, even the most overlooked, the outcast. And Jesus rescued us by dying on the cross, taking upon himself the darkness and sin and evil of our world and the darkness that's infiltrated our hearts. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus died on the cross, but death could not hold him down as he rose from the death on the third day. And Jesus is alive and invites us into a relationship with God. God invites each of us to bring the tragedies of our lives and let him bring something beautiful out of that. To take the saddest moments and allow him to show us something good. God loves you and you can trust him. He created you on purpose and with a purpose. And he wants you to know him personally, not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge that you experience his peace and his presence, that you experience him as he can be closer than a brother, your heavenly father, able to meet the longings you have that could never be met by the best parent, spouse, or friend. You can trust that God created you just as you are, and he can help you become the best version of who he created you to be. And some of us might struggle with trusting God because of our family of origin, because of our background, because of some of the struggles we've had since we were born. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, just be honest with God about that. He can guide you towards healing. We may never understand on this side of eternity why we faced or struggled or encountered some of the difficulties or people that hurt us. 
We end up suffering because of the evil choices of others. But here's what's amazing. In the midst of our worst moments, God mourned with us. He hurt with you. He even gave his life dying on the cross to rescue you. And he can heal you. He can help your greatest moments of pain become areas of strength as you begin to help others struggling with those same things. Only God can bring good out of evil. When we trust him, he can do that. I know too many people who have suffered abuse only to grow up and find healing and bring healing to those they know that are suffering from abuse. I know too many people who have struggled with addiction who now are helping others struggle with addiction. I know so many people who have seen the greatest moment of pain become the greatest moment of overcoming. But it happens in the context of a relationship with God, reorienting and healing us. I wonder, have you ever considered that God may have put you in the exact family that you are in so that you might have the best opportunity to find him and then help everyone older than you and everyone who comes after you come to know him as well. As I think about flourishing in my relationships, it just dawned on me, I have a young adult son. I've been so worried about getting my dad's love. Am I expressing my love to him in a way that he understands? Am I more concerned with how others that I want attention from than giving him the attention he needs? And so what I want us to do is just pause for a moment. I want you to really allow God to speak to your heart. Just pray to him. Whether you walk with God or you're still not sure with God, just try it. God, show me what you have for me. Which areas of my life do I need help And would you help me? Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.